Welcome to The Important Part, Investing with Liz Young. I'm Liz Young, Head of Investment Strategy at SoFi, here to help cut through the large amount of information out there about investing and get to the important part. With the help of my guests, you'll gain valuable insights, new perspectives, and the knowledge to confidently make your investment decisions. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the important part. I've got a jam-packed episode for you today on all things media, advertising, venture capital, new brands, how to build a brand, culture, social, everything, all of the things (laughs) that would fall into that category. And I have the perfect guest for it. His name is Joe Marchese. He is a friend and a very, very brilliant businessman. Uh, here to talk to us about the inside scoop on media, advertising, and venture capital. Joe Marchese is the executive chairman at Human Ventures and also serves as CEO of Attention Capital, a holding company scaling the next generation of media and technology companies. He was previously president of advertising revenue for Fox Networks Group. Joe oversaw sales, research, and advertising innovation for Fox Broadcast, FX, National Geographic, and Fox Sports. Joe also previously served as CEO of Truex, the leader in engagement advertising technologies, which was acquired by Fox in 2015. He has co-founded a number of companies. Joe is a widely recognized leader in the media and technology industries and was inducted into the Advertising Hall of Achievement in 2016. He has served as a member of the Board of Trustees for the Paley Center for Media and is currently a member of the Board of Directors for Human Ventures, the Tribeca Film Institute, Team Rubicon, and Clear Channel Outdoor. And with that, let's get to the interview. Mr. Joe Marchese, former media exec, current venture capitalist, PERMA entrepreneur. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to cover so many different things. Uh, Just for the listeners, you're going to get a real inside perspective on how companies advertise what the media landscape looks like, what it looked like maybe 10 years ago, how it's changed, and maybe even more importantly, when we think about this as investors, is how to build a brand properly and all of the things that go into that. So I am super pumped for this conversation. Um, I'm going to start, though, by giving you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you are the expert on this topic. Also, I heard somewhere, I think I listened to a podcast that said, you at some point wanted to be a bank teller? Is that true? (laughs) I just remembered when I was a paper boy when I was a kid and I'd saved up all my money. I had just enough to open up a bank account. Remember when they'd give you that little booklet and they'd stamp your balance in it? And I just remember handing all my money to the bank teller on the other (laughs) side. And I was like, what a powerful person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was a bank teller in college for four years. Yeah. I, I had my aspirations. I make this joke sometimes. I can count dollar bills faster than anybody on earth, which is a completely useless skill today. But um, anyway, you settled for majoring in finance and economics. I think I also heard something about philosophy, but through all of that, somehow ended up as the president of ad revenue for Fox, founded and sold a digital ad tech company. You continue to start companies. I'm guessing maybe the most rewarding thing is to help other people build theirs. But just give me a little background real quick. Yeah, I mean, so the the path from <laughs> wanting to do philosophy in college, ending up in economics, because it was kind of the philosophy of money, uh, isn't actually that far of a leap to advertising, which is um, trying to figure out the motivations for consumers, right? And and 
trying to figure out what what key insights are going to drive a market. I think one interesting way to look at the advertising market is as a leading economic indicator. Hmm. When you look at how different sectors are spending QSR versus auto versus retail versus luxury versus the quantum they're spending really tells you what they think about where the economy is going. And then the other side is their creative messaging really tells you what they think consumers are thinking about products. Are they focused in on price? Are they focused in on utility? Are they focused in on image? And so, you know, I ended up on the advertising side of the world, just starting a company on that space, not, not because I loved advertising, but because I really thought it got to the roots of mass communication. And then when you think about it as the major monetizable revenue line for some of the largest companies in the world, like Facebook yeah. and now Amazon, Google, at the time, MySpace, advertising. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, MySpace. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Yeah, we get, you get to a point where we date ourselves with that. But, yeah. but it, it, it is interesting. So so that, that that was the leap from one to the next. Okay. Let's dig into advertising because it's been such a big topic of conversation lately for a number of reasons. I think maybe most recently a, a topic of conversation because of the pressure on ad spending that a lot of social media companies are seeing. But I want to I want to take a 30,000 foot view first, because you were an exec in advertising many years ago now, really. So you've probably seen the industry change dramatically from that point until now, where advertising happens in the palm of our hands quite mm-hmm. a bit more than than maybe it does on television or than it does on billboards or than it does, you know, putting up stickers on construction walls in New York City, that sort of thing. Yeah. Talk about the big shifts that have happened in advertising and then really what's been good for the media industry and what's not been good for the media industry. Yeah, well, I well, I would say the, your last two examples, billboards and, you know, stickers or, or what they call wild postings in New York City are just as prevalent as they've ever been, if not more mm-hmm. important, because other forms of advertising are shrinking or moving to the palm of your hand, right? And I think it's not controversial to say that the story of advertising over the last couple of decades and going forward will be the emergence of and the shift of money from mass media companies that were doing what you would call above the line or brand advertising, brand building, to Google and then Facebook and now Amazon and pick your what would be called lower funnel direct response marketing. And, and what I mean by that is a ad that then some action is taken later, either directly you click on the Google search ad and then you end up buying the Nikes or you click on the ad and you end up buying, you know, the toilet paper for, you know, or something from Amazon. That's yeah, the, direct the response makeup, marketing. The makeup that I bought through Instagram three yep, weeks that ago. Would, yeah. That would, that would, and that, that would be. <laughs> Hook, line, that, and that. sinker. <laughs> and, but what's so important about that is, so people frame up the shift of dollars from TV, radio, print to mobile, Right. But really what's happening, is, and that is, that is happening, but when it moves from TV, radio, print, where it used to be brand dollars, meaning they paid per thousand impressions and they built a brand over time, and then they, they sold to consumers when you went into Macy's, or they sold to the consumer sure. when you were on the auto lot, they not only changed from mass media to mobile, they changed from being brand dollars to direct response dollars. And Facebook and Google have been on a drumbeat, and, and the internet I think kind of fell into a bit of a trap where they say, if you can't measure it, don't buy it. And so you'll see all the ad networks, all the trade are like, look, we can, we can show you the ROI of every ad dollar you spend, which means that things that are hard to measure, 
television, broadcast, billboards, those wild postings you talked about in New York mm -hmm. City are undervalued because they're hard to measure. But the irony in that is that some of the largest buyers of out of home are tech companies. Apple yeah. famously is one of the one of the biggest buyers of billboards because Steve Jobs knew how to build a brand. Yeah. What's the exposure difference though? So for example, you can look up how many American households are watching a certain TV program at a certain time. So you get sort of a rough idea of the number of eyeballs that are on that. And think about the big networks, right? NBC, Fox, wh whatever it may be, you can you can kind of rate the opportunity set for eyeballs. Is there similar exposure on some of those social media platforms, or is it so spread out? Meaning, you know, I'm a I'm a Twitter user, I'm a Facebook user, I'm an Instagram user. I don't use TikTok, but once you spread it out among all the users. Is yeah. there less exposure, actually? Yes. I would say yes, full stop. And I'll use a funny example that everyone can relate to. When I was back at Fox, we had the Super Bowl a couple of times, some pretty exciting mm -hmm. Super Bowls at the time. And I was asked the question, like, you know, with all these CPMs I can buy on Facebook or Google or YouTube at the time, why do I need to spend $5 million on a Super Bowl commercial, 30-second spot? Yeah. And, and, here's, and here's an easy way to think about it. If you bought a 30-second spot during a, during a commercial break on Super Bowl, you have 100 million people, give or take, in the U.S. Let's just U.S. only. We won't even worry about streaming. Watching the television, which it's on the full screen. It's not like one quarter of the screen. It's not playing in the bottom left-hand corner of the right. screen. It's not. Right. It's And it's playing with the sound on. And, and it's you, playing you with can't all these cancel people. it after four seconds, like skip ad. Yeah. Can't, can't, can't skip it. I mean, you could mute it and go back to the party, but people are actually watching it. It's just the most unique experience. In, and it is an exception that proves the rule. But I was like, if you gave every platform, YouTube, Facebook, Google, a year, they couldn't deliver that because they wouldn't force everyone to sit through a full screen ad with the sound on, right? Mm -hmm. And then get 100 million unique human beings because the, none of them individually reached those. They reached them at different times. And that's fine. But that was always why broadcast costs more than cable. And so now we've moved into this this area of targeting. And I do think, I mean, even 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 people in the world of the Googles and YouTubes have said, like, we've moved so far towards data, context does matter again. And so I do think in this new CTV world, we're going to see more of a swing back to where you're advertising and how you figure out who your audience is. What's but CTV? See, oh, sorry, CTV would be connected television, your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon. Basically, if you're watching programming on the TV on your wall, I'd mm -hmm. call that CTV, which, by the way, the misnomer there is YouTube is the largest source of content on CTV and then your TV on wow. your wall, right? Basically for anything that's ad supported. So it's basically half of the ad supported market on your wall. Okay. So one of the things that I've thought to myself, not just for this interview, but just generally as a consumer, I actually think there's a lot of this that's better for the consumer. We can choose certain ads to skip. We get more personalized ads. I mean, I just mentioned an example of myself falling for a makeup ad on Instagram, right? It it works, clearly. I've also fallen for jewelry ads. I mean, mm -hmm. everything. So there, the algo is targeting me correctly. And I haven't necessarily regretted those purchases. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, I feel like this is actually better for the consumer. It's benefited the consumer more than it's benefited the media and advertising industry. Is that fair? Yeah, I would definitely say it's disadvantage the media and advertising industry. I would almost put it out a wash for the consumer right now because for all the benefits that you're getting from being, you know, slightly better targeted, we're also losing a bit of the social currency of 
the way I would describe it is kind of the meta information about an ad that's seen. Them. So if you, if you see a billboard on the side of the road, I know everybody else sees that same billboard, right? right? If I get an Instagram ad, I don't know if I'm the only person in the world who ever got that Instagram ad. I don't know if they're mm-hmm. A-B testing products with me. I don't know you know, if, you know, some of these affiliate marketers, like they'll market a thing that doesn't exist yet. And then once enough people say they want it, then they'll go make it. And then what's the quality level of the product? We don't know. Right. And but that's right. okay because they're marketing the next thing. So I, I, I think that there is a, there's a hollowing out of the middle where the nature of direct response advertising and the nature of Facebook, Google, Instagram, now TikTok of, I can test a lot of things and then I'll see what works and then I'll make it versus I'm going to make a really high quality product. And that barbell effect, which which I like to point out is that six six months ago or so, the richest people on planet Earth were Jeff Bezos and Bernard Arnault. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos says, your margin is my opportunity. And Bernard Arnault makes the highest margin products on the planet that are like generational brands. Mm-hmm. And I think about that at, at scale with every company when, when, when you talk to them. So let's talk for a minute about brand value versus actual product value. So you mentioned social currency, and I, it strikes me that a lot of the advertising that happens on social media and then just the word of mouth that spreads because of it. I mean, we talk about things going viral. We've seen ads go viral, social media ads go viral, or just even brands go viral. And I know I keep talking about makeup. I don't know why I can't get off of this, but because it's such a saturated space. It's fascinating to me. It's such a saturated space, yet there's still new brands that come out in cosmetics. Every celebrity has one now, and somehow Mm -hmm. they make money. Somehow... Kylie turned into a billionaire because of a new cosmetic brand in a space that was completely saturated already. So there's got to be something about the linkage between building that brand and building that word of mouth and building the buzz that's working in Mm -hmm. social media advertising. But then it has to translate at some point into the product. Yeah, no, I I think there was an old saying in marketing that goes back away, which is there's, there's no better way to kill a bad product than good marketing. Um, and, and the, in the, so it's pretty easy in the age of social media and the age of influencer. Now I, I will say it's Kylie and makeup is like the super bowl and describing commercials. There's exceptions that prove the rule, right? Yeah. Like it'd be like saying like the rock and certain things. Right. And, sure. and so there are these things that are so far outside. And then there's this middle where it can't get to scale just on an, an, an individual. And then making things is hard. I mean, I, we think a lot of human ventures about we're the founders that can do that can do the hard part, which is to make a high quality product. And then we'll, we'll figure out how to get it to scale in this new media landscape and where there's an ability to have influence. I think that some of the stuff that you're describing about like what goes viral, when YouTube came out, people were like, well, we'll just make a viral ad. And then some mm-hmm. someone would come in, some young person in an agency, and they'll still say today. I, I, it's just really fun. I'm saying some young person. I want to get off my lawn. I'm going to yell at. I'm going to yell at clouds. I feel like I don't know how old I am, but like, but, but they'll say. Well, well I they, don't know. They, We're they, not young anymore, which is sad. I, I, no, apparently not. I know. But you know what? But they'll say, and they'll say it with absolute enthusiasm. What you need to do is not make ads. You have to make content. And and to me, that's like wait. So you're saying I should just make good ads? Right. That's genius. I should have <laughs> yeah. just. What the well, hell? What, what, who would have thought? What what have we been doing up to now? Yeah. And 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 I disagree with that because if everybody who's an advertiser was trying to make content that we want to watch, they have to compete with everybody, right? And that was hard in YouTube land, right? Mm-hmm. Without a ton of algorithm, right? Where we're just anyone could share everything. It was very very hard in Facebook, Instagram, Algo land, where you don't know exactly who's going to follow. It's nearly impossible in TikTok 
right? Mm. You're competing with the collective talent of everybody on the globe trying to be creative every day yeah. and the algorithm picking anyone who happens to the most creative thing. So like if you're betting your business, if you're putting down the money to start up a factory and, and design a product and manufacture it and then have the logistics to import it, and then you're betting your life on that you can come up with the craziest TikTok dance of the week, like, <laughs> I mean, God bless, good luck, your company right. is in trouble. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, I'm going to ask you a really hard question. All right. And and I realize that this is <laughs> this is hard to answer, but I think this is hard to answer. It's hard to answer for me. It's hard to answer for any investor. As an investor, so if I'm an investor and I am, I want to buy stocks. I want to buy either well-known brands or up-and-coming brands. How much weight should I put on how that brand advertises as a stock investor? Uh, well, a lot. But it depends really? on how. Okay. Here's what I would look at. Okay. First of all, I am not a public market investor. I right. will I will disclose here that I, I the the public market stocks I own. It's because I, I'm on the board of Clear Channel, so I own stock in Clear Channel. I mean, I joined that board because I believe in out of home significantly as a, a as a category and find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't spend my days betting on the stock market. But here's here's what I would say about I do think a lot about the longevity of companies and the ones that will grow, especially with whatever comes next. If you have to buy your customers through advertising over and over again, there's a metric in startup world, similar in big company world where it's called customer acquisition costs, CAC, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And if you have to, if I acquire my customer through Instagram, I acquired Liz through that perfect Instagram ad. She bought the makeup, right? Mm -hmm. But then a week from now, and I want Liz to buy another product, I have to acquire her again through Instagram. I'm not acquiring a customer, I'm acquiring a transaction. And it means I have to pay uh, that tax every single time I want to acquire. So I no longer look at, the, if they're at, if, if too much of their advertising spend is below the line, like direct response advertising, and they're not retaining customers. So in internet traffic parlance, you'd say, well, how much of your traffic comes through Google and how much is direct navigation, meaning they typed in your URL and went mm-hmm. to you? Like same thing in brand world or it could be QSR, it could be any category, quick serve restaurants. How many people go to you directly or how many people just go to whatever ad? If you truly believe advertising is shaping that, because a lot of people look at like the 2% tax or the 2% fee or I don't know what you want to call it that credit cards have and say, man, that's the market everyone's attacking. No, Amazon, Facebook and Google are like 50% of some companies estimated expenses, right? Like Mm, to keep reacquiring customers. So if I look at someone who says, I'm building a brand because then your brand is what someone's willing to pay for your product above like baseline utility. And this is why the Bernard Arnault, Jeff Bezos example is so salient because if People will not go pick your brand over any other brand if all things being equal. Well, then you might as well list it on Amazon and eventually your margin will be compressed to exactly, if not zero, close enough. So I do think a lot about that. What I don't think is you could look at someone's marketing plan per se um, and say they're going to get it right. And the reason is marketing gets too much blame when it doesn't work and way too much credit when it does work. You could have the best ad campaign in the world if you're auto manufacturer X and your competitor could just start giving away cars next week because yeah. they've decided they don't care if they lose yeah. money. Right. And, and you you know, so, so there's just a million different factors that go into it. Yeah. I mean, I think about it. I don't know if anybody listening thinks about it as much as I do, but when I see an ad, I think about how effective was that on me? And I think about the 
the brand or, or the ads that actually don't even really talk about a product, right? If you think about mm-hmm. just a billboard of a brand that you see that maybe just has a model on it wearing the clothes mm-hmm. and you actually have to search for the logo on some of them, where really yeah. then they're selling a feeling or they're selling a cultural way to be and that relates to their brand. And I always think to myself, and I might be right or wrong about this, I'm not sure. I think to myself, if that's effective for them, they've made it because they don't even have to sell me the actual product. They're just showing me how I should feel and look and think about them as a brand. One of the things you're describing is that they're doing even more than that in that they are signaling to you that other people will know that about you, right? Like, right. like the, the thing with targeted advertising that people are missing right now, and this is like, as we talk about brand, if you, if only the people who buy your product knows what that product stands for, then it's not a brand because like, you know, if my neighbor won't know that I'm, I'm Ford tough cause I'm driving this car then my neighbor won't know that I just got the, I just got the best Lexus that's out there. And my neighbor won't know that I care about the environment cause this is the, you know, the Mustang E or the, you know, and yeah. so Brand building is cultural, right? It, it's it's marketing to more than just like Kylie. There's lots of people who see Kylie's makeup brand besides the people who are the people purchasing it. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of value to that, but then it all comes back to the product has to deliver on that, uh, and then and then it's just a it's a cycle that goes round and round. So that's how I mean. That, I guess that's how you evaluate it as an investor, right? It's there's brand building and there's there's marketing around it and awareness of the brand, which has sort of intangible value, but then the tangible value is the product itself. And that's acquiring you as a customer instead of as a transaction. Yeah. And, and what, what areas does a very strong brand allow you go into, you could go into new business lines that have high, better unit economics potential or high margin. Mm-hmm. So the example that, that didn't quite get there, but has a amazing brand is Peloton. And it took, for it to go from bikes to, to treadmills, to schools, to, you know, pick the other categories it could go into, all built off of a core community and brand that people know what it stands for. But just remember, every new business line is very hard work, right? right. Each new business line is like starting a startup and thinking so many things operationally can go wrong because that's the hard part. Yeah. But that's what brand lets you do. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get into the startup thing. the The last thing that I want to cover about advertising is, for obvious reasons, we talk about it at this point in the business cycle because there are quite a few people out there expecting a recession. We've heard a lot from, as I mentioned before, social media companies being under pressure and not spending as much on advertising. So then other companies are hurting because of that. What happens in the media space at this point in the cycle? What can we expect to see? Number one, on an advertising platform or an advertising perspective, will the ads change and will the ad spend change? And number two, I think maybe even more interesting, and this is something that I would expect to happen at this point or maybe a little later in the cycle, is M&A activity. So take the first one. Yes, I think you'll, you'll, see, you'll see a change in complexion of ad spend it typically starts with direct response, so the lower funnel activity, and SMBs, like small to medium businesses. Um, that is why you see the platforms, in, in my opinion. That's why the platforms see it first, because those are major categories of spenders with them. As you know, corporate profits are still pretty high in like mm-hmm. the Fortune 500, where all the biggest brands in the world are. Consumer spending is still pretty strong, and so if corporate profits are still good, and consumer spending is still pretty strong, you see brand advertising still being relatively healthy and brand advertising is planning out quarters ahead. 
and there's a slightly shrinking amount of inventory. So the amount of TV that's available is basically sports news and some of only the best of broadcasts, right, that's left. And so I think you'll see healthy rates in the TV world because there's just only so much of it to go around. And then that would come next in the cycle. I'm not sure if you'll see that as a general pain point in the public. I don't know how much they weigh in. You would know better than me how much the advertising business of the Comcasts of the world or the Foxes or so forth, how much that factors in because they'll stay relatively healthy because it's there's only so much for, for them to get into mm-hmm. and how much the streaming advertising makes up of those businesses is still a small minority compared to sure. compared to where they're getting all their dollars. Sure. M&A is, is I think this will be the most interesting cycle for M&A yet. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Why is that? It looks hard for the people who could do the most M&A to do M&A from a regulatory standpoint, right? The, the, the biggest of the big. We could have a whole discussion on whether that's good or bad mm-hmm. <laughs> separately. But if we're still in a inflationary environment and you have a lot of companies with a lot of cash on hand, there's only a couple of things you can do with that cash. You could dividend it in a back and people would have to find, find a place to reinvest it, which they're not a lot right now. Mm-hmm. You can do R&D, make new things, launch new product lines, but that doesn't happen very quickly. You can acquire customers, which is advertising. So that was a category we already talked about, or you can do M&A. And yeah. so and M&A becomes the most attractive, especially if valuation expectations come down a bit. I mean, I think the latest Figma, Figma, Figma news doesn't uh, suggest that M&A valuations are coming way down, Yeah. Um, but it's a good comp. Yeah. Okay. I lied. Last thing, last thing about <laughs> advertising, sports yeah. marketing. We've talked a lot about social oh, yeah. media marketing. We've kind of touched on sports marketing occasionally, mm-hmm. even though maybe TV advertising isn't quite the big thing that it was when there wasn't any other way to do it, when the advertising in the palm of our hands didn't exist. Does sports advertising, sports marketing still work the same way as it used to? Is it is it still as effective? The big kahuna, do you get as much out of a Super Bowl ad as you want to? Talk to me about that. Yes. Now, listen, I'm, I'm no longer work for, sure. a, for a, sure. la- a large sports broadcasting. So so this is not a, a homer of an answer. But yes, in terms of what, especially Super Bowl. Super Bowl still, the uniqueness of it means that like you just can't do it. Now, the... The thing with advertising in that type of medium is how effective it is, is based on everything else. It's like, it's not based on, you are getting the best possible attention you can get in the market for the amount of people that are watching at any given time. What it comes down to is if you have a terrible product and you buy that, it doesn't work. If you have a terrible ad and you buy that, it it obviously doesn't work. But I think bang for the buck in, in the sports category, NFL specifically, the others are kind of... They move around depending on how exciting a given game is or the mm-hmm. you know who's in the playoff. It's still giving about the same bang for the buck. I think the hardest part they have in that category is only a few people can afford to play at that level. Right. And then they do category exclusive sponsorships. So then you see the same ad 30 times. That's not a right. mistake. That's just they're using those ad impressions to pay for the halftime sponsorship or to pay to be the pregame or the in-game sponsor. So, and and this is what's broken with all advertising is that normally brands want that juicy culture creating thing, and then they pay for it in thirties and fifteens and the the commercials. Um, Now with the, the Twitters and snaps and the picket, 
they're at the center of culture TikTok. They're at the center of culture creation, but they they don't have enough impressions because I mean, how many how many ads would you tolerate on your Snap before you're like, wait, I'm just using this to talk to my friends. I still don't even really know how to use Snap, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I would tolerate none because yeah. I I can't even figure out what buttons I'm supposed to push. But yeah, point taken. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and shift over into you as a venture capitalist. You are executive chairman and build partner at a company called Mm -hmm. Human Ventures. Now, this is interesting to me for a number of different reasons, and and we're going to get into how you guys evaluate something as an investment and what that means from a company perspective. But first, I want to talk about really the link that this would have to an investing theme that continues to be top of mind, which is what I would call values-based investing or impact investing, or just people basically wanting to put their money where their heart is. And one of the things about human ventures that I've always really loved is one of your statements, your mission statements, is that it has to solve a real human problem. So mm-hmm. talk about that mission, why now, what it means to you guys, and and why you think it'll work. You know, yeah, and I, it's funny because I think sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, it's social good or social impact. And mm-hmm. and, and it's not. It's it's kind of like we think that there's a massive massive market demand and there's a there's an even bigger market demand coming for things that improve our lives to improve the real world like to improve the way i live my life and interact with people here in this world like there's plenty of companies that are doing you know metaverse and blockchain and you know digital only you know social connections for people and we think that like the same way organic food you know was around for a long time but became a lot bigger as people cared more about what they put into their bodies like this pandemic that we've just gone through, this idea of work from anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just work from home has left us in this. We're going to connect differently with people, but we're still going to seek it out. Like experiential is exploding right now, even even in a time where we're just on the other side of COVID. We are we're still figuring out whether people are coming back to the cities. I mean, I personal opinion and having just walked around New York these last couple of weeks, it feels amazing. And they are back. But mm-hmm. Work wasn't just where you went and sat at a computer for eight hours. Like work was where you you socialized, you met people, you talked, like you learned, you were mentored, right? Yeah. Uh, so all of these things are going to be reimagined. And you know, we announced last year at our at our investor summit that Esther Perel, who is a kind of world renowned relationship therapist, was joining as an advisor to Human. And from the outside, you'd say, why? And 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 I think that we think about all this work that tech has done to make us less connected. And now we're thinking about, okay, I want to use, I want to use technology to improve my wellness. Like we have a lot in the healthcare space, like fits into that human needs economy. Mm -hmm. We have a lot in how people are going to work or manage their money going forward or just be more social together. I mean, like, as you notice, we have a tequila company. (laughs) I've had the tequila (laughs) many times. It's delicious. I mean, look, if I was being, if I was, I was put on a stand and forced to to reverse justify it. You could talk about hospitality and revelry and people being together, but the truth yeah. is that the CEO founder is a absolute is an absolute wonderful human being and, and a master craftsman who could do the hard thing. He could make an amazing product. You can get it important. And then the question: How you build a brand? And so that's I, I, so that's going back to the beginning of the question. Yes, our category is this idea of quote unquote the human needs economy to us. And what that means post-COVID, coming out of this kind of human recession, the way we evaluate, or the way I do, um, Heather and Michael, Heather's the CEO here at Human Ventures and managing partner, look at deals, we each kind of look through our own lens. But the way I look for it is, can the founder do the hard thing? 
right? And then once they do the hard thing, can we scale that to a very large business? Jake Wood, who is doing a company called Groundswell, where they built a massive foundation and then built the like a the pipes to make corporate philanthropy and employee benefit. And Jake is a former um, Marine, Special Forces. He's a former the CEO of a giant charity. So I was like, these are founders that can do the hard thing, and then we can help them do what's next. Yeah. And because of where we invested human, it's so early. Like we're looking at who the people are, well, who are the team, yeah. and then what's the area. They, some people call that team and TAM. So that's the filter we look at. But we like once they get from zero to one, the fun part is we actually have a very good idea because of my background, I come from and working in businesses at scale and public companies, like what it takes to get to scale. And that's yeah. getting off of the direct response advertising, building brand. Yeah. Well, so... And, and we can use the tequila as an example. I mean, I first of all, I'm lucky enough to call you a friend, so I get I get the tequila at events and birthday parties, and and I'm a lucky gal from that perspective. But and I mentioned this before with the cosmetic stuff, but thinking about even tequila now, tequila yeah. is like the hot drink, right? It's mm-hmm. it's no longer cool to drink vodka, I guess. Now it's cool mm-hmm. to drink tequila or mezcal. So again, a very saturated space. So how yeah. do you create? a unique product in that space. It it has to be the product first. Like Mm -hmm. the product had to be special. Like years before anyone knew what Comos was, Richard was at work crafting it, right? He was a former master sommelier who had been making agave spirits for 20 years and working with families in Mexico. But it started with, okay, we're going to make something that's different. And when I say we, I mean, Richard, I wouldn't eat or drink anything. I, I, I cook, I, I live on Postmates <laughs> <Noted>. and DoorDash, <laughs> but I'm great at making friends with people. Who know how to <laughs> and giving them tequila. Uh, Got it. Yeah. But no, but, uh, but Richard crafts something truly special. And then you begin to think about what the brand's going to be and what the position in the market is. And, and, what a real brand is, is what two consumers say to each other about your brand, not what you say about it. Because marketing ah, messages like on that. TV and marketing messages for big public companies, they're always way more, like if you ever read like a mission statement or a values of a giant public company, I promise you no normal consumer could recite that as why I buy a Jeep or why I buy Patagonia. Sure. Those are amazing brands, but like everyone describes them to each other in kind of shorthand. And so you're really thinking about that. And I think that what happens in hot categories and why I think Kylie, you know, has done so well in the, in the makeup space is like you'll get a couple of outliers who are just a perfect match for the space. They're both. Think about it this way: you have influencers, mm-hmm. quote unquote, who just have large audiences, right. right? But they're not necessarily, or it's hard to believe the authenticity of their of their love of you know X Y Z product because they could have been paid to do it, or maybe it, they just have some shares. Or then you have ambassadors who might either own less of said product or you don't know if they own it all or they have a small audience, but they love it and they talk about it. That's a, that's an ambassador that has more influence over most people, but those are great. Right. Mm-hmm. When a influencer is also an ambassador, wonderful, but it's a small Venn diagram of what you're believing. Mm-hmm. But then you have experts and experts are people that you're like, okay, so, so Liz is my friend and Liz, Liz might tell me, Hey, you got to get these Nikes. And I could say, well, Liz is my friend. She's an ambassador for Nikes, but Liz has never won a Boston Marathon. Now, this other person has won <laughs> the Boston never Marathon. Win <laughs> a Boston that. Marathon. Never say never. <laughs> Not yet, Liz. No, Not okay. yet. Okay. But then, so then these other people are actually experts in a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that I'm like, okay, 
if an expert has a large audience and is influential, and I believe them in that category. So this, this just brings me back to our articulate example, Richard Betts being a former master sommelier institution in the hospitality industry doing like that to me was like, okay, now you have a brand story that you can build on and that, yeah. that that's your base of your infrastructure and yeah. you go from there. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. That's pretty special. All right. The last part I want to ask you about from a venture perspective and just kind of the future of small businesses is you mentioned it, the experiential factor. And just thinking about younger generations, younger than us, Joe, younger generations (laughs) than us. So maybe just the next (laughs) ones down, (laughs) they are evidently very into experiences and less into stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that Mm -hmm. the next ones after them are the same way. So what does that mean for the companies that we would expect to emerge over the next five to 10 years? And, And one of the sayings that I... I ripped off from an asset manager years ago is they were a small cap manager and they used to say, we want to buy the next generation of blue chips. So what is that? Mm. What does the next generation of blue chips look like because of this experiential culture that we're in? Yeah, look, I, I hope that trend continues because I think one of the big, I, like you want to fix some of the things that it's uh, it's UN uh, week here in New York City, so mm-hmm. we'll all be you know, we will all be avoiding getting in cars as we much will as be possible. In traffic. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will be walking. It's right. beautiful out right now. Let's hope that holds. But let's hope the trend continues of this disposable consumption that really was driven a lot by those ads that you're going to see on Facebook, Instagram, Google, and Amazon, because the the ones who are selling the most are just the best at doing marketing, and then. You know, whether the product was good or not didn't matter because they were just going to take the proceeds plow back in. That's different, different conversation. We're already past. But the the rise of the focus on experiential, one of the things I, I love and we think a lot about at Human, which is how are spaces going to be used, like commercial spaces, like what's the new mall look like? Like mm-hmm. we like a- a- Apple famously did it. You know, you, you could always buy an Apple online. What, what, the, what the hell is Apple doing making store? Apple doesn't need stores. That doesn't mm-hmm. that, like, like their P&L is not going to look as good if they have to do retail. And now, I mean, look at what it looks like. I mean, right. yeah, Best Buy was for long left for dead. It was like, well, someday Best Buy will just not be there because, you know, but like people need support and, and mm-hmm. they want to test things out. And, the, and so there is a, and you forget that shopping. And so you think about Walmart also, it's not just a necessity. It's both enjoyable. And for some people, a very affordable leisure activity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's part of the community center. And, and I think about all of the things that are places where people gathered and that are whole industries. So one near and dear to my heart is the the movie industry, right? Like mm-hmm. theaters are very hard businesses in the big multiplex, but exhibition of film is a great thing with zero marginal cost to display a film anywhere. So mixed use spaces for movie theaters is, is a very interesting, interesting concept. Okay. And I hope that the thinking about there are some of these companies that are trying to franchise things like the museum of ice cream here in New York, where yeah. it's very Instagrammable and people come in and it draws footfall. Like, and, and the large commercial real estate owners are thinking about what that is next. I also think if you think about Equinox or the like, or Soho house, where if we're going to be digitally nomadic, like Equinox is doing, well, if you can work from anywhere, why not work from a gym? Right. Mm-hmm. Or instead, or, or Soho cool. house, which is, or a pool and yeah. a show house, which is popping up. Or this is the implied thesis behind the Andreessen investment into Adam Newman's flow, right? Yeah. Um, which I think Alfred had 
had really been been onto before a New York based company run by two women, Marcel and Jessica. This idea of we are changing the way we're going to find and meet friends and connect socially in where we live, and like this is this is not a small market. This is a you know multi billions of dollars, maybe trillion dollar market. But there's some stuff that's going to have to change in real estate pricing, rents, usage, zoning. And so, I don't know, that, those, are the, those are the big themes I'd look at. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you. I, I mean, one, you are seriously one of the brightest minds in the space. I will never look at an ad the same again. <laughs> I think probably most people listening will never look at an ad the same again. And I just really am grateful for your time today. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. Okay, I don't even know how to summarize that. There was so much packed into that conversation. Some of the favorite points of mine were the conversation about how to build a brand properly and how much weight as an investor we should put on a company's advertising strategy. I mean, we see it all the time. It's just I'm not I wasn't really sure how you evaluate that as does it mean something for the actual company's prospects in the future? How do we look at that? Do we look at that as a cost that's worth it? And his point about ads that acquire a customer versus ads that acquire a transaction, I thought was really fascinating. So are they able to build a culture around the brand? And what's the customer acquisition cost? Those are big questions to ask when you're looking at investing in a company. And then just the idea of building social currency around brands and how that's changed today when we have so much advertising that happens on social platforms and how much more spread out the exposure of ads are and how much more targeted they can be. And then talking about whether or not it's better for consumers. My initial reaction was that it was better for consumers and and he really thought it was kind of a wash for consumers. So it's interesting just our different experiences with how advertising affects us and and our shopping patterns, our buying patterns, and just even our thought process when we're thinking about spending money. The topic around how a recession could affect some of these companies is also something that I think you should go back and review if that's something that is a big topic of yours as an investor and companies that you're putting money towards. What could happen? What might we see in advertising trends if we do enter a recession and and what that could also mean for the consolidation of businesses, the merger and acquisition of businesses through the business cycle. And then when we talked about the venture capital space and, and the activity that he has there, and just this next generation of companies and, and the idea around everybody being so much more experiential based and the companies that are probably going to emerge in the next era because of that culture, which I I agree with him. I hope that that stays. So I hope everybody enjoyed that episode and I look very much forward to getting you the next one soon. For more from me, check out my weekly column on the markets and economy every Thursday morning on the SoFi blog at SoFi.com slash blog. And follow me on Twitter for daily takes on the market at Liz Young Strath. The important part is produced by SoFi in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Sarah Lee Kane, our producer, Brian Rivers, our production manager, and Adam Rimonda, our editor and sound engineer. SoFi can't guarantee future financial performance and past performance is no guarantee. This podcast should be used for informational purposes only and not deemed as a recommendation. Our automated investing is via SoFi Wealth, LLC, and is a registered investment advisor. 
Our active investing is via SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. For additional disclosures related to the SoFi Invest platforms, please visit sofi.com slash legal.